0: If you want to know what is really happening in the world today, you need to read the Parsha Hashavua, the weekly Torah reading. Join Rabbi Mendel Lipska for the next hour as he delves and enumerates the themes running through the weekly Torah Parsha only on 101.9 High FM. And a wonderful air of Shabbos to all of you, and what a Shabbos is coming up. It's not only Shabbos Bamidbar. We begin reading a new book, the fourth book of the Torah, one that deals with much of what happened to the Jewish people during their journey through the wilderness through the desert. But it's also Shabbat Shabbos that leads us straight into the festival of Shabu'ot. Three days of intense divine energy, three days of intense divine joy, three days. Of greatness. And while, of course, logistically, it might be a bit of a headache, it might be a bit difficult, but the fact remains three days that we have the opportunity of doing great and important things, important things in life based on the parsha, important things in life based on the festival of Shavuot, and that which we read during the festival of Shavuot. It's a time that we have to look Carefully at who and what we are, we have to look carefully at what our commitment at Sinai was all about. After all, we all stood at Sinai. We all said nah, seven Vishma. We devoted ourselves. We told God that we will commit ourselves to observance, to study, to all the wonderful things of Torah has to give us. And we have to somehow ask ourselves as we stand on the days before Shabbat, have we fulfilled that undertaking? Have we fulfilled that promise that we gave to God? We somehow dedicated ourselves, but to what degree? Did it last? Is it strong? Is it powerful? Or perhaps a bit shaky? Something that has to be done and fixed quickly effectively, and efficiently as well. And this is what this Parsha is all about. This Parsha is Bamidbar, and we'll talk about the concept of the Parsha, why in fact this Parsha is always read in close proximity to the festival of Shavuot. We have to ask ourselves, what's the relationship? We look at the Parsha, and it seems to be somewhat dull. Do I use that word? It talks about numbers, it talks about Counting the Jewish people from this point of view, from that point of view. It's a parsha which is full of data and statistics. It doesn't tell us a great story or so we think. It doesn't tell us something of great importance which is relevant to our times today or so we think. It doesn't tell us about morality. It doesn't talk to us about the greatness of devotion to God and his Torah. It doesn't talk to us about the loyalty that we have to show to our predecessors and our future generations in terms of our commitment to Torah. It seems to be a very ordinary Parsha. And yet, this Parsha not only is called Bamidbar, but in actual fact, the entire book, the entire fourth book, is called Bamidbar. And of course, our sages had a different name for Bamidbar. It was the Book of Numbers, as we often speak about it, and we use the English language, the Book of Numbers, because it begins with that concept. This parsha, the next parsha, it speaks about numbers in great measure. The amount of Jewish people that were journeying through the wilderness, the amount of Jewish people that stood at Sinai, the amount of Jewish people that go forward with their particular duties and responsibilities, the difference between the nation of Israel, the tribe of the Levites, the firstborn, etc., etc. But yet, nonetheless, although we speak about also of numbers, it seems to be a very ordinary Parsha, and this is why we have to ask the question, why is this Parsha so closely connected to the festival of Shavuot? We always read it in very close proximity to the festival of Shavuot. But if we stop for a moment and think what the word Bamidbar means, Bamidbar does not translate into numbers. That's a different name. This book has two different names, Bamidbar and numbers. But what in fact Bamidbar means is wilderness, a desert, a place of desolation. It's a place, well, a wasteland, nothing grows, the desert after all is filled with rocks and sand and as you stand in the desert all you see is anything but vegetation and growth and development. What's Bamidbar all about? Why give prominence to this type of bleak outlook, a desert? After all, when the Jewish people stood at Sinai, the mountain itself had these beautiful flowers surrounding that. And this is one of the reasons why on the festival of Shavuot, there's a custom among many, many shuls that they bring greenery, flowers into the shul to somehow commemorate the day with the significance of the beauty that surrounded Mount Sinai, Har Sinai at the time. But the fact is the mountain sits in a wilderness, Midbar Sinai, the wilderness of Sinai. And a wilderness, as mentioned before, is not a place where you see life and growth. All you see is kilometer after kilometer of sand, of, of desolate wasteland. Why give such prominence to the word midbar, to the concept of midbar? Shouldn't we be speaking about something entirely different? Why do we talk about the desert? the journey that the Jewish people are going to take through the desert, through the wilderness. And after all, if Torah tells us this, it's because there is huge, significant meaning in all of that. What the desert means is something which is vital in terms of our understanding of what the desert is really all about, what the world is all about, because in addition to the actual translation, we speak about it metaphorically. What is a desert, a desolate wasteland mean metaphorically we speak about a desert within the individual, a desert within society a desert within the world we talk about a place which is in a sense a wilderness, the wilderness within the wilderness within our immediate environment, the wilderness of the entire world, what does that mean and why emphasize this concept of the wilderness with such effective strength calling the entire Parsha Bamidbor, in fact, calling the entire fourth book of the Torah, Bamidbor. And obviously, when Torah calls something by a specific name, it's there to teach us something, something which is very important, something which is vital in terms of our own lives. It doesn't simply give us a geographic point so that we know where, in fact, these instructions came when God spoke to Moses about the census counting the Jewish people. It's not there simply to give us geographic specification is there as i said before in a metaphorical and spiritual sense in order to tell us what in fact we have to do and we stop for a moment and we think about the concept of what a desert is and what can and should happen within a desert after all the desert is an open space a wasteland a dangerous space nothing grows and yet Torah is given in that wasteland. Torah is given in that wilderness. Torah is given in that strange, empty place. In addition to that, we stop for a moment and reflect upon the fact that when God created the world, it wasn't a desert. It was a Ganadin, It was a divine Garden of Eden with everything magnificent and beautiful. And what happened, of course, is Adam and Eve made the great mistake, made a choice which was destructive. And as a result of that, they were banished from the Garden of Eden and, in a sense, went into the night. Again, metaphorically speaking, they went into the wilderness. They went into a place of desolation, a place that needs a lot of work in order for people to survive. It's normally a place where people don't live. It's too barren, it's too empty, nothing grows. The heat is intense during the night and the cold is free during the day and the cold is freezing during the night. It's not a place which is hospitable to human beings. And yet we speak about Bamidbar. That's where the Torah was given. That's where it all happened in a sense. And that's when we became a people in the full sense of the word. More of that soon. This is the Parsha Hashavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on one oh one point nine high FM. We're talking about the Parsha we're going to read in the Torah tomorrow, Parsha Bamidbar in the Desert. And the question that I raised was how do we understand metaphorically and spiritually the concept of the desert based upon our understanding of life and our understanding of Torah? And why, in fact, give such prominence to a bleak, empty space, a desolate space, a place which is not very welcoming? to human inhabitants, why give it such prominence, not only as a full parsha, a full book in the Torah, but always reading this parsha in very close proximity to Shavuot when we celebrate the giving and the receiving of the Torah. But before we get to that, a word from the High FM Marketplace. In these challenging times, many people are under pressure, and for some it can become way too much. Where does one turn to? Chai FM will be starting a helpline later this year. And we are looking for compassionate, caring volunteers to train as call center counselors. If you have a background or an interest in counseling and you want to find out more, email helpline at chaifm.com. And that's helpline at chaifm.com, fm chaifm 101.9 megahertz of serving of the community. We're talking about the festival of Shavuot in relationship to the Parsha. We're talking about a desert. And the point that I made earlier on, that when God initially created the world, everything was in Gan and everything was in a divine Garden of Eden, a place of great physical and spiritual beauty, a place of holiness, a place that contained everything human beings needed at the highest possible level, a place of intense and immense beauty in terms of color, in terms of shape, the flowers, the vegetation, the animals all living together in peace, the inanimate, the animate, the human, all of them living together in a peaceful, blissful, idyllic state. And of course, when Adam and Eve ate from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of right and wrong, unfortunately, they were banished from the Garden of Eden, and they were sent into a dark wilderness, the world of the Midbar. And what this tells us is not only that Adam and Eve were punished, and therefore banished from the Garden of Eden, there is a deeper purpose for their banishment Now they have to, as a result of their own efforts and work, they have to transform the desert into a place of beauty to make the desert bloom. And of course, in Israel today, we see how, in fact, materially, physically, they made the desert bloom. But it goes far beyond that as well. As mentioned, it's a desolate place. It's a dangerous place. And we are obligated to transform that desolation into something of beauty, into something of greatness, a place which is welcoming to others, a place where we can comfortably say, this is a great world. The world that we live in is not a perfect place by any means whatsoever. It's a world of confusion, a world of chaos, a world of destruction, a world of conflict, a world of great violence. And we look at this world and we say to ourselves, how can we possibly, we as individuals, how can we possibly transform this insanity, this chaos, this conflict into something which is peaceful, something which is wonderful? something which is in a state of beauty. We speak about a world that has gone mad in so many different ways, a world that no longer understands its purpose, a world that has been abused as a result of the fact that we didn't take care of it physically or spiritually correctly. And we live in a world which in many ways is a desert. And we have to ask ourselves, if in fact it is so, how can we as limited small human beings be expected to actually transform this place of desolation into one of great beauty, into one of great peaceful state? We take a peek at the Haftarah that we're going to read in Shul tomorrow, It comes from the book of Hosea. And it begins with a rather strange sentence. It speaks about uh, that the Jewish people, the people of Israel, will be as many as the grains of sand on the beaches of the world cannot count them. Of course, the uh, immense amount of grains of sand surrounding the waters is incredible. But ultimately, it is a quantifiable number. Ultimately, with patience and with time, you can count how many grains of sand there are. Why does Isaiah speak about they will be as many as the grains of sand which cannot be counted? And the answer is, without going into any great depth, the answer is that we as a people have this mystical, powerful, divine presence about us. On the one hand, (coughs) excuse me, on the one hand, we are a limited people, as many As the grains of the sand, perhaps. But at the same time, we are an infinite people. And how you can connect the finite and the infinite is something which boggles the mind. How can you possibly speak about that which is finite at the very same time being infinite as well? And that's the great miracle of God. That's the great miracle that God bestowed upon us. God gave us this incredible ability because we are a people who live very much within the rigid restrictions of time and space. But at the same time, we live outside of time and space as well. We're very much part of history, but we're outside of history as well. The history of the Jewish people is not a normal history. We have no business being here. But at the same time, miraculously, we are because although restricted by time and space and numbers, there is an infinite dimension to our being which enables us miraculously to continue and to grow as a people. And this is what Hosea is referring to, the great miracle of Jewish existence within the infinite dimension, within the finite dimension. When did this actually happen? When did the Jewish people receive this incredible gift of being finite and infinite at the very same time, of being limited by time and space and being beyond time and space? When the Jewish people stood at Sinai, this is the great gift God gave them, because what happened at Sinai is not merely God coming down to the mountain surrounded by each and every single Jew of all time. But in actual fact, this incredible miracle of the merging of the higher and the lower worlds, once before Matan Torah, before the Torah was given, they were two very distinct and separate entities. The spiritual world, the physical world, two very separate places and very little communication. There were no bridges to come from one to the other. You either resided within the spiritual realm or you lived within the physical realm. But they were two separate realities and two separate worlds. And this is something which we have to understand in terms of what happened at Sinai. At Sinai, God allowed the emerging, the coming together... Of these two separate worlds the physical world limited by time and space the spiritual world a world of infinity which is not limited by time and space they came together to indicate that ultimately what God wanted within his creation and it took two thousand years to reach that point is to bridge the gap between the two so that there is the great potential of absolute unity within God's creation God didn't want a world of separation, a dichotomy of the upper worlds and the lower worlds, the spiritual world and the physical world. God wanted to have a world that is absolutely united. And this is why he gave us the great gift of Torah. He says, by doing so, Revelation at Sinai brought about this incredible coming together, this incredible merger of the higher and the lower, the spiritual and the physical. The world changed absolutely and totally. What was impossible before became possible now. What simply couldn't happen before became the reality of the day. When the Jewish people stood at Sinai and received the Torah, they were made aware... On levels way beyond reason and understanding, they became aware of what, in fact, the true intention of God is by giving the world, the Torah, giving the Jewish people this incredible gift. You now have this unbelievable power of living within the limitations of time and space, and at the very same time, living beyond the limitations of time and space, the finite and the infinite Merging, this is the gift, the strength, the power that he gave us. This is the incredible strength of Torah that enables us to function within that reality. And this is why normal modes of description really don't fit the Jewish people. You can't say you have so much strength, so little strength, so much power, so little power. You are a minority within a minority in numbers. All of that doesn't matter. Because when you speak about the relationship of finite and infinite coming together in an incredible, miraculous way, a moment lasts forever. The power is infinite. The strength is infinite. And this is why we as individuals, we as Jews, have the power of changing the world for good. We have the power of bringing about this tremendous transformation, of making the desert bloom, of taking this world which is filled with chaos, with filled with violence, and to bring about a state of peacefulness, to bring about a state of unity, to bring about an idyllic reality similar to what existed at the initial time of creation, a divine garden of Eden. This is what Torah is all about. Torah is not only a book of laws and knowledge or even infinite divine knowledge. It is that bridge, it is that power that brings together these two extreme opposites, infinite and finite, allowing them to coexist and not only coexist, but to work together in order to bring about miraculous change in the world. And this is one of the reasons why the Torah is given in a desert. To remind us what the world is all about and where we have to function, where we have to implement the truth, the wisdom, the commandments of the Torah. It's not within an idyllic state. It's not within a perfect state. It is often within a very imperfect reality that we have to function. It is often within a desolate wasteland that we enter. And we have to do whatever we can to turn it into a divine Garden of Eden. And as I said before, ask the question, how can we possibly do this? Yes, under normal circumstances, it wouldn't be possible. But because God gave us this infinite gift of finite and infinite at the same time coming together, this empowers us with incredible strength, with incredible greatness. This is what we have to do. And I hear people asking the question as I speak: Isn't this something which relates only to the select few, those who are gifted, those who are in a higher, enlightened state of spirituality? But what about us? Uh, what about you know, ordinary folk like all of us, most of us? What about the ordinary people? Can they possibly do this as well? And there's an interesting concept about a wilderness, about a desert. It doesn't belong to any one person or to any group of people. It belongs to everyone. Each and every single individual has the right of ownership in a desert. What does that tell us? Yes, you might be an individual who sees himself or herself. as a creature of wilderness. Nonetheless, you too receive the Torah. And the Torah was given in the wilderness to remind you, you can never hide behind that which you consider ordinary and regular. You have been gifted, each and every single Jew has been gifted with this incredible power of the merger between the infinite and the finite. Yes, we have to create a Garden of Eden within ourselves. We have to create a state, well not of perfection, But we have to open our eyes and open our ears so we see things clearly. We hear things. We understand things clearly. And we begin to see this incredible potential that we possess, each and every one of us, this infinite and great power. More of that soon. This is the Parsha HaShavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. We're talking about the incredible gift God gave us at Sinai. He gave us the Torah. He gave us the ability of reconciling the finite and the infinite. While we live within the rigid limitations of time and space, we also live within the infinite dimension, which is way beyond time and space. This incredible combination of the upper and lower worlds, the spiritual world, the physical world, this is what took place at Sinai. This, in fact, takes place every single year as we celebrate the holiday of shavuot the reminder of what kind of people we are not only that god gave us this gift but even perhaps more important what we do with the gift that god gave us what we do with this incredible power and you can't say it's not me it's only the righteous the holy the enlightened the spiritual no each and every one of us stood at sinai each and every one of us was there each and every one of us made that incredible Commitment, we express this infinite loyalty to God. We said, we will study, we will do, we'll observe, we'll fulfill the commandments, each and every one. But a person says, But after all, I'm not deserving. I am a wilderness. I am a desert. I am a place of desolation, my heart is empty, my soul is empty, my mind is empty. I don't really know what I have to do, but you were there as well. And because the Torah is given in a Midbar, it belongs to each and every one of us. Yes, it might be a bit difficult to try and find within Torah the excitement, the energy, the light, the path toward recognize the incredible power that we have, but nonetheless it's there. Effort, yes, of course effort, sometimes great effort, but it's possible. And therefore, if it's possible, it becomes a requirement. It becomes something each and every one of us has to do. And this is why Bamidbar is also numbers, because the great sense is everyone was counted matter if you were Moses or a very ordinary person, both of you counted as one unit to indicate the infinite responsibility that each and every one of us possesses. Of course, Moshe had greater responsibilities. He was the leader of all the Jewish people, the perfect leader. And we perhaps have a responsibility within a limited situation, within ourselves, within our immediate environment, but it's there. And as we exercise that responsibility miraculously, our awareness grows, our strength grows, our sphere of influence grows as well. This is something which Torah teaches us again and again and again, regardless of where you are or where you come from. Put your mind and heart and soul and body to work, and you will see tremendous successes after a while, recognizing who and what you are. You will transform the internal wilderness within you. You will ent- transform the incredible wilderness that surrounds you, and suddenly you'll see blooming of flowers of beauty, a fragrance of color which cannot in any way be matched. And this is something which is so important for us to understand. The Lubavitcher Rebbe of sainted memory called upon each and every single Jew to make every effort To be in shul on the first day of Shavuot, to hear the reading of the commandments, to relive that incredible moment when we were empowered with this type of greatness. And he said it should be men, women, children, even infants. And you wonder, why the necessity to have children? After all, aren't they a noisy lot who create all sorts of disturbances within shul? And why infants? What could they possibly hear or understand when it comes to the reading of the Ten Commandments. And the answer is, regardless of time, regardless of age, regardless of gender, regardless of any type of description, we have a soul, and that soul listens to the Ten Commandments, and it awakens within us this incredible potential state of greatness, of combining the finite and infinite. It might be a midbar, it might be a wilderness, it might be a place of tre- tre- of, of of desolation, but at the same time, it's a place of incredible opportunity, challenge, absolutely, opportunity, absolutely as well. And this is why it's important, mothers and fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers, bring your children, bring your infants, bring yourselves to shul on Sunday when you'll be hearing the story of the Ten Commandments. It's not only Ten Commandments, this do's and don'ts. It goes way beyond that. It's the moment of reliving revelation at Sinai, God giving us the Torah. It's a moment when the entire world, all of creation, witnessed this miraculous moment and responded with incredible intensity. All of creation, human beings, the animal kingdom, the world of vegetation, even the inanimate, everything with creation responded with r- miraculous greatness. God came down to the mountain and gave his people the Torah the bridge that brings together the higher and the lower worlds. And this is why this Shabbos is a special Shabbos, because it's a Shabbos of Erev Shavuot. It's a time that we can prepare. It is a holy day by listening to the Parsha of Bamidbor and understanding the inner dimensions of that wilderness, what it means, where we came from originally, from the Garden of Eden, and how we have to transform the wilderness once again into a Garden of Eden as a result of Our physical human effort by taking Torah and allowing Torah to become our guide, what we do and what we don't do, how we behave in our relationship with God, in our relationship with fellow humans, each and every single dimension of life is detailed in greatness within Torah, the written law, the oral law, the five books, the books of prophets, the Mishnah, the Talmud, the books on mysticism, the books on Hasid. This is something which each and every one of us has to understand because as we possess this incredible, miraculous relationship of the finite and infinite, so does Torah. Torah possesses the infinite and the finite. It might speak about specific mitzvot, specific commandments, but at the same time, it has this incredible divine energy of living Ultimately, without any restriction whatsoever, the physical and the spiritual merge. And this is why be in shul tomorrow. Listen to the Parsha of Listen to the Haftarah about those grains of sand, which in a sense can be counted, but the prophet tells us it's infinite, it cannot be counted. Listen carefully to this incredible concept of the finite and the infinite coming together. Be in shul on Shavuot, listen to the Ten Commandments. Yes, I know it's a wonderful festival with cheesecake and blintzes and all sorts of dairy delicacies, but although as important as they are, it's far beyond that. It's a time that we re-energize ourselves with the strength, with the power, with the miracle of being who we are, the gift that God gave us at Sinai. Be in shul tomorrow, be in shul on Sunday. Take the opportunity of receiving the Torah in a personal sense, in a joyous sense, in an intensely, intensely joyous and personal sense. Remember, it's Shabbos, it's of Shavuot, it's a time of great celebration as we enter this incredible holiday, the giving of the Torah, the gift of the finite and the infinite, the gift that each and, any one, each and every one of us can transform the desolate desert, into a place of beauty and strength. And good and the Yontov.